So, um, so um, of course, I'm teaching tonight uh, in David's place. Uh, I'm also teaching on Sunday morning. So, uh, I kind of picked something out tonight to kind of go coincide with uh, uh, what I want to talk about on on uh, Sunday morning, which will be a lesson out of the little book that we've been. Uh, 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 studying by Leroy Brownlow uh, in the particular lesson on Sunday morning will be about forgiving our brothers. But tonight I want to talk about unity because uh, they kind of go hand in hand. You can't have one or the other. you got to have them both. And so uh, I thought unity would be a good topic to talk about tonight. And uh, um, um I want to use as a basis Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. So let's read that uh, together if you would. If there be therefore any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels and mercies, fulfill ye my joy that ye be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in the lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. And so I, I think these are wonderful verses here that uh, I hope all of us you know, take to memory. We should, if you haven't already. Uh, and we ought to love and appreciate exactly what... Uh, Paul has written here in this second chapter of the book of Philippians, and it's a plea, a plea for unity, uh, particularly among uh, the disciples, uh, among the family of God. And so we'll be talking uh, Sunday morning about forgiveness of our brothers, and so we want to keep it in that in that context of the family of God. Uh, but but so much that is said. In, in this particular section of the scripture that we've read tonight may apply to and enhance really any any particular relationship you know outside of the church you know whether it be personal or just friendship or something like that within your family uh, certainly within the family of God I think there's a a kind of a tenderness that Paul demonstrates here uh, throughout this this particular Letter, the Philippian letter is a wonderful letter uh, that that we could just spend months on, months of classes on talking about, and maybe sometime we we can do that. Um, and I think I think if you look at the terminology that he uses, you know, he's very careful in how he's expressing himself. He's very loving. He's very appealing, and he he's doing that because these Philippian brethren are such very very special friends to him. So it's there's there's something very real there. There's this bond there, this bond of fellowship that he has with those Philippian brethren in Christ, and of course now, centuries later, with you and you and I, uh, the bond of affection. Uh, and we know uh, from a little later in the letter that there's a, a situation in the church there at Philippi, Philippi that. If, if it doesn't get resolved, uh, will create uh, issues that would lead away from unity, that would be something besides unity or less than unity. And so, you know, what, what one thing do you think Satan could do to the church, you know, to, to rob the church of its, uh, 
vitality? What was the quickest thing that he could do? Get us, get us arguing. Get get us fighting one another. And and you know, if we want to, you know, look at what's wrong with our country. What's wrong with our country? You know, and and there seems to be an element out there that's that's driving that that wants that to happen. Um, I don't think anything will affect the, the joy, joyfulness or the happiness of a given congregation more so than, than having disharmony and disruption in, in that congregation. We probably have either personal experiences like that or we know of personal experiences like that. In Psalms 133.1, the psalmist wrote this, How good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. Um, and it just seems that wherever folks are, 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 are come together into a, a close fellowship, whether it be something like a marriage or, or our home, uh, a very close friendship, and indeed also in the body of Christ, the, the danger of disharmony uh, is just ever-present. Uh, it's just there. Uh, and it's that danger that Paul's trying to address here in these opening verses that we've read here, specifically verses 3, 4, and 5. And we're going to kind of try to spend uh, all, all our time here tonight focusing in on these few verses. Um, so, there is this appeal that is kind of couched or sitting there in between all these very careful, carefully chosen, loving, very sensitive words that that Paul's using, uh, and again we mentioned, uh, you know, his close bond with the with the uh, the Philippians. This this the, there there exists there between Paul and the people of of the church. This bond in Christ. It's not just with the Philippians. It's with the church. You know, universal. There's this bond in Christ, but even also there there's even an affection. An affection for one another that I that I mentioned earlier, uh, and so that's how the appeal for unity begins. Um, and I I want to say something kind of sidebar too. I, I get real concerned uh, when a I'm gonna, I'm gonna be real careful how I say this when there's a lack of affection that we see sometimes in the church. You know, I'm, I'm sorry if I'm stepping on your toes. I, I probably am just as guilty because sometimes, you know, I've had a bad day and I come in and I may not show somebody kindness, you know. But we really got to think about that. You know, it's not a casual thing. It's something very specific and that's what we're studying tonight and we, we have to be careful. That's where the appeal for this unity begins. There, there are several things which he uses as a basis for this call for unity among the brethren that are there at Philippi. The first is, if there be therefore any consolation in Christ. And so, this, this stimulus, this appeal begins with this stimulus or this exhortation of their being, them being in Christ and, court, and, and with Him too. The appeal from Christ, the influence of Christ in their lives is, is, is both an appeal and it's an influence that uh, would lead to unity. And if we say that we are in Christ, and, if, and, and then if our being, being in Christ makes no difference in the way that we think and we behave, 
then we're out of touch with Christ. We're not in Christ. We're out of touch with Christ. So, so it's very, very appropriate that he picks the words that he says here. Uh, uh, there to begin this appeal in Christ. In Christ, it's a, and, and it's, a, it's an expression that he used uh, frequently. It's typical of him, and it expresses so much of his. It really expresses his his understanding of our relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. The second thing that he uses as a basis for the appeal for unity is kind of directed toward the persuasiveness of love. If any comfort of love, if any comfort of love, their love for Christ, Christ's love for them, their love for each other, Paul's love for them, their love for Paul, and I could just keep going on. It's, it's, it's our love, our, the interaction that we have amongst ourselves and also with, with Lord Jesus Christ uh, as well. And you see how this appeal to love has just so many directions that it can go. And in, and in every direction you point it to, there's, there's this powerful appeal uh, to unity. And, and you know, there, there's some things that are absolutely inconsistent with love among brethren. And one, one at the top of the list is disunity. How can we show love for one another and, and, and love in Christ and, and, not, and not be unified? Um, and, and no wonder He would appeal to them to be unified, not only on the basis of them being in Christ and being unified in Christ, but also on the basis of their, their love for one another. The third thing He includes in the involvement of the Holy Spirit or is the involvement of of the Holy Spirit, uh, the the word which the Spirit has provided for us, the influence of that word as it abides uh, in each one of us, the fruit of the Spirit of our lives as a result of the joy that's in us. It, it would seem, however, that that if if you're truly led by the Spirit of God through the Word which, which He's provided, and the motivation of that Word, that, that, that such a thing as facetiousness or, or such a thing as divisiveness, it would never rear its ugly head. It just it wouldn't be there. These are things that, you know, that are works of the flesh. And when... The Apostle Paul addresses, you know, his, his first letter to the, to the Corinthians. He says in chapter 3 that it reminds him of their divided state. And he says, you are yet carnal. In other words, you are worldly. That's, that's the context that it's in. You're worldly. Worldliness results in division and, it, and strife. And, it, and it, just, it just harms the body of Christ. But on the other hand, the influence of the Spirit of God through the Word would be far from that. It would be the other end of the scale from that. It would, it would result in unity uh, of the body of Christ. And then the fourth thing um, he refers to is this, this power of our, of our human feelings. He says it in a certain way. Not a, not a way that I think we would commonly say it you know, in our culture. He says it this way, he says, if any bowels or mercies, or and mercies, any bowels and mercies, 
the people of that time believed that that's where their feelings were, that that's where they, where they originated from. Um, they came out of their bowels. And so here he's appealing to, to their natural human feelings as a basis for unity, their, their feelings for one another. It doesn't make sense that, that if we're people who feel and care about one another, uh, that, that, that uh, there would be disunity. We, we would be a people of unity. If, if, if that is the case. How can we say things like, I love you, or I care about you, or, or you mean a lot to me, or you're important to me, and, and mean them if we're not saying them from the depths of our feelings to one another. Uh, it's not just some casual, flippant thing that we need to be saying to one another. Sorry. Heart, yeah, in our heart, yeah. Good, good comparison, Mike. Come out of this. So, um, the, these people have demonstrated to the Apostle Paul, these Philippians, and to others that they they have a great deal of consideration. And they demonstrate it through the compassion that, that exists among them. So what Paul is saying to them, in effect, is, is the same compassion that you've manifested away from home must be manifested at home also in order to provide the kind of unity that needs to exist among, among God's people. And then on my list there, the last of his appeals or basis has to do with how they feel about him. And, and that's, a, that's very personal. He's being very personal there. That last appeal, which kind of goes like this, fulfill ye my joy. In other words, if you care anything about me, then, then consider my feelings here as, as I appeal to you for unity uh, in, in this church. So through the rest of verse 2, there are things for which he pleads. Uh, the kind of unity that he's seeking uh, among them. And then first of all, he says that they need to be like-minded, like-minded. They, they need to think the same things. Now, we're, we're not carbon copies of one another by any stretch of the imagination, are we? But God is providing His Word to us, to each individual person in this room and, and through, throughout the whole world. And He has given us the means of being like-minded uh, in, in very critical areas of our faith and our life. Uh, Luke 10 verse 25 reads this, And behold, a certain lawyer stood up and tempted him, saying, Master, what shall I do to inherit life? And he said unto him, What is written in the law, how readest thou? So there's this lawyer, and, and he tempts Jesus, and, he, and, and, and Jesus says to the lawyer, how readest thou? In other words, go to the Word of God. Uh, and, and there's the information that you're asking for that you say that you need. The Word of God, though, is the same for you as it is for me. And in this, this abom- ad- admonition, Jesus also directs you and me 
to the Word of God, which He has supplied to us just so graciously so that, so that we can be like-minded, uh, so that we can think the same things. And I think, you know, some of us have traveled great distances into cities, maybe into other countries, and it's, it's just wonderful, isn't it, to go to a city and find a congregation of the Lord's church. And they're like-minded. Yeah, they're doing the same thing we do here at Midway on, on Sunday, and they're studying and, and, and teaching the same doctrine, you know, that we teach. Why? Because God provided it to us in His Word. All you've got to do is read His Word, study His Word, and understand His Word. But he says also, furthermore, there, there needs to be among you the same love. And this is important in that, that without the motivation of love, unity wouldn't have the same virtue. What, what would happen without the motivation of love would be just, just controlled and forced discipline. We'd be like robots all in lockstep with one another, but with no heart. Unity that's filled with love, love for God, love for His church, love for each other, and that kind of unity is great virtue. And, and He's encouraging these people to have that same love for each other, but, but what is that same love? Well, let's turn over to Ephesians chapter 5 and look at verses 1 and 2. Ephesians 5, 1 and 2. But be ye therefore followers of God as dear children, and walk in love as Christ also hath loved us, and hath given Himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling savor. That's the same love that, that needs to be present in each and every one of us, in every member of the Lord's church, the body of Christ. The, the same love that, that was the love of Jesus Christ and, and we should be caring people. We should be sensitive people, kind people, uh, giving people. And we should be forgiving people. Right? And as I've studied and prepped up for, for, the, for the Sunday morning Bible class that's coming up and thought about things, and you know... We have some work to do when it comes to that. Some of us do anyway. Um, we should be a forgiving people if we love one another and if we have the unity that we're being told that we have to have. So all of these attributes are the attributes that will promote unity among, among God's, God's people. But he also says that, that we should also be the same in disposition and feeling. And, and, and how he says this, I find to be very interesting. He says it like this. He says, being of one accord. Being of one accord. Accord means uh, two hearts in perfect key. Lord Jerry Harl's not with us tonight. I don't know if y'all know this. Jerry, Jerry uh, tunes pianos. Been doesn't doing that for years. And... Uh, uh, he talks about it some. Uh, it's interesting to listen to him if you ever get a chance to sit down with him. But, you know, the hammers on, on a piano strike, strike the strings, and sometimes there's more than one hammer hitting more than one string. 
Sometimes I, I, I don't know pianos like he does, but you know, there could be like three strings. If one of those strings happens to be out of tune to one another, that's when they call Jerry Hall. Because he, he comes and he fixes that, that problem, doesn't he? If they're not properly tuned, though, you know it, don't you? You can hear that. You, they, you know, when that one note gets hit, one accord, one accord. If we're properly in tune with one another, then we are of one accord. There, there will be this bond among the members of the body of Christ that will invariably touch and affect each one and, and touch and affect others as well. Each and every one of us are, you know, are, are affected by it. So, so what do we have here? We have perfect sympathy. Romans 12. Verses 15 through 16. Romans 12, 15 through 16. Rejoice with them that do, do rejoice, and weep with them that weep. Be of the same mind one toward another. Mind not high things, but, but condescend to men of low estate. Be not wise in your own conceits. If, if, if we were... In this, this harmony that I'm speaking of here, I, I don't see how unity can, as I said earlier, rear its ugly head and, and be anywhere near us. Um, and then, then Paul says back in Philippians uh, 2, um, be of the same mind. You know, we, we started this with like-mindedness. Think the same thing. Here, here to me, it seems that Paul has in mind the results of thinking so that we all act the same way. Oneness in action, the same action, the same doing. And in, in having this one mind, there would be a sense of belonging to one another. We, we, we all belong. The sense of belonging has a great strength going toward the influence of unity. The other thing that occurs when we, when we are one of, mind, of one mind with, with like-mindedness is we are predictably similar in the way we behave. It's like I spoke of earlier, you know, going to a far city, you know, or a, a far country, you know, and, and finding a congregation of the Lord's church, you'll find that they do behave a certain way. And so... So that's what we're speaking of. Now that may be open to question, you know. You know, are we really predictably similar in the way we behave? I think uh, Nancy might say no, you know, if she would speak up. I know she won't. Can someone around us predict how we're going to behave because, just simply because we are members of the body of Christ? Can someone predict that? Can they? Do, do they say, you can count on it because these people are Christians. They should be able to. You know, I can, I can recall growing up, you've heard this too, kind of sidebar to this, about how um, the reputation of members of, folk, of the church was we know the Bible. That's how it was when I was growing up. Now, is it so today? It should be. They did 
Can, can you imagine the impact on this community if they saw in all of us a great joy in, in our belonging? I think I advanced my slide. I think I did. Did it move? Did it? There we go. Sorry. If, if, if they saw in us this great joy belonging to the church of Jesus Christ, and because of that knowledge of, hey, they're Christians, and, and here's how we know they're going to behave. We can predict that. Wouldn't that make a tremendous impact? You know, so when we talk about, you know, changing the world, I touched on it in the sermon on Sunday. Um, do it one at a time. One person at a time by how you influence them and by how you impact them and how you teach them. So, the reasoning in these verses then goes something kind of like this. If all of your blessings in Christ mean anything to you at all, you must be one people. If they mean anything to you at all. So now I'll go to this next slide. So, That don't look like the next slide. Sorry. I'm not real good with this little clicker down here, y'all. Yeah. Is it on? There we go. Yeah, that's it. I'm sorry. I thought I hit it twice. All right. So, Paul, by the inspiration of God, addresses three prominent causes of division in these verses. Strife, vainglory, and selfishness. First one is strife. Some, some have defined strife as selfish ambition. Selfish ambition. In a good definition of the word strife, selfish and ambition ought to be in that, that definition somewhere. They're partners to one another for sure. So when we speak, what, what we speak of here. Is, is the person who has a facetious, partisan spirit and whose only desire is to put themselves forward, promote themselves. This person doesn't really care how that gets accomplished, but rather only that it gets accomplished somehow, some way. It doesn't matter how they, how, who they step on or what trick is used as, as long as they gain the prominence or the preeminence that they're desiring. 3 John has an excellent example of this um, with the man Diotrephes. 3 John verses 9 and 10. I wrote unto you, I wrote unto the church, but Diotrephes, loveth, who loveth to have the preeminence among them, receiveth us not. Wherefore, if I come, I will remember his deeds which he doeth, parting against us with malicious words, and not content therewith, neither doth he himself receive the brethren, and forbidden them that would, and casteth them out of the church. That's not a very pretty picture, is it? That's a picture of a man filled with selfish ambition, promoting strife among his brethren in Christ. 
the love that this man had was not the love of the brethren, nor the love of the church or the Lord. It was the love of himself and the prominence and preeminence that he could gain among people. That's what, that's what his end goal was. That's what his focus was. Certainly in our lives it's possible that uh, preeminence or prominence can, can come to any of us, but it, it mustn't, mustn't be our goal or our aim to, to have that. Most especially, this should, should not be the goal of us who are members of the body of Christ. Look, look at this man, Diotrephes. He, he treated anyone whom he saw as a threat to his prominence. Uh, in the church in a, in a shameful and almost malicious way. You had to accept Him or He would exclude you. Matthew 20, uh, verses 20, 21, and 24. I want to read those verses. Then came to Him the mother of Zebedee's children with her sons, worshiping Him and desiring, to, desiring a certain thing of Him. And He said unto her, What wilt thou? And she said unto Him, Grant that these my two sons may sit, the one on the right hand and the other on the left, in thy kingdom. And when the ten heard it, they were moved with indignation against the two brethren. So here are the apostles, and there's strife amongst the apostles. What, what caused it? Look what caused it. Here was, here was a woman, she wanted her two sons to have the prominent position and as soon as she said that, look what happened. She had already gotten the words out of her mouth, and there's division there among, among them. Um, selfish ambition will always have that result among people who are in close fellowship. Second cause of division that Paul mentions is uh, vainglory. Philippians 2, 3, empty pride. What's the root of... A selfish ambition. What what's the root of strife? It could be that the, the consequence of many things, but but more than often than not, it's it's pride. It's just simply pride. Conceit is just so exclusive. Conceit is so unable to estimate one's value, much less the value of others. And so selfish ambition is motivated and it's moved by empty pride. And Paul speaks about this when, he, when he's talking about the qualifications of an elder uh, in 1 Timothy 3.6. Not a novice, lest being lifted up with pride, he fall into the condemnation of the devil. So in giving qualifications of elders, Paul uh, mentions how pride is a threat to an elder unless he is a mature, well-established, well-grounded Christian man. And when selected for, for leadership, it's just so very easy for a person to get caught up in that and, and to kind of get a little full of oneself. And if you're full of yourself, you're a threat to the unity of the body of Christ. In the wisdom of the book of Proverbs, here, here it has so much to say about pride. Proverbs 13.10, Only by pride cometh contention, but with the well-advised is wisdom. And don't you think the Apostle Paul knew that? If, if he didn't know that, then certainly the Holy Spirit knew it and they caused the words to be written 
words that, that have to do with pride and vainglory. And here, here, was, here was the Apostle Paul who, you know, he experienced some, some pretty tough things, some horrible things, some disparaging comments and some innuendos about his apostleship. You know, they attacked his apostleship. and he, They attacked his looks. They attacked his message. Uh, and he knew how pride could shatter the unity of this congregation at Philippi. So he cautions them against, against vainglory. Look not every man on his own things. That's, that's a third cause of selfishness, the desire to be self-satisfied. Self-satisfied. Looking out for your own things. Looking out for number one. And boy, you know, we keep coming back to our culture. You know, I'm frustrated with it, as you might notice. (laughs) I believe you are too. But that's, you know, one thing, you know, about our culture. Everybody is looking out for number one. it's, it's, It's been ingrained in our younger generations. There's so much true that that... It's so much true that that we've even become a little suspicious of the person who is not selfish and who is generous. You know, it's kind of gone the other way. You kind of start thinking, well, what's that fellow up to, you know, for doing that? You know, you question that person. We ask ourselves, what's that guy trying to do? Why he's trying, you know, what is is in it for him? What's he trying to gain? Suspicion is cast on, on an unselfish person. A selfish person will inevitably collide with someone and in, in so doing, they're going to cause division. One writer wrote the following comment on the passages in Philippians. I'm just going to read it to you. If for any man life is, is a competition whose prizes he must win, if he forever regards life as a struggle to overcome, to surpass and to conquer others, then he will always think of other human beings as enemies or at least as opponents who must be pushed out of the way. So I just ask you, you know, can a, can a spirit like that exist in the Lord's church and not harm the unity of the body of Christ? You can. Selfish ambition, empty pride, and just plain selfishness. That That's what... Uh, the Apostle Paul says are things that are going to harm the unity of the body. Let me see if I can do this. Good. Got one slide instead of two. He gives two cures, followed by a perfect example. In the latter part of verse 3, Paul writes, But in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. The first cure is humility. In honor, preferring one another. Selfishness, selfish ambition, and vainglory use other people. Humility values other people. And and such such a statement as this has nothing to do with attacking our self-esteem or our self-worth. There's... There's nothing wrong in and of itself with self-esteem and and valuing our self-worth. We should. Romans 12.3 reads this, For I say, 
through the grace given unto me to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly according as God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. That's how you keep it in context. You think soberly according as God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. This verse tells us that each of us should learn ourselves, understand ourselves, and in so doing, understand our weaknesses, understand our strengths, and realize that that Christ in our lives, um, without Christ in our lives, we absolutely would be nothing. Nothing. But still, this is not an attack on a person having self-esteem or feeling self-worth. It's not that. On the contrary, it is the person who understands his worth, who understands himself, who knows himself, who properly esteems himself, who can put other people ahead of himself. This is just so essential to unity. So essential. John 13, 13 reads, You call me Master and Lord, and you say, you well say, for so I am. He had just finished a slave's task when he said this. He had, he had washed the feet of the, the disciples. So how was he able to do that? Not because he was uncertain of himself or that he had low esteem of himself or he, he didn't think he had any self-worth. No, that, that was not the case. He's able to do it because of knowing himself and, and knowing who he was. And it was in this knowing who he was that he could bend his knee down to serve others and do this very, very lowly act that he did. He had humbleness of mind or in mind. You look at several of Paul's writings, 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 9, For I am the least of the apostles that am not meet to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. And so you hear words of humility there in Paul's writing. And in his humility and his understanding of himself, he felt that he was just the least of his apostle, of the apostles. Uh, Ephesians 3.8, he wrote this, Unto me who am less than the least of all saints, is this grace given that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. Not only did he feel that he was the least of the apostles, he felt that he was the least of the least of the saints. And, and I, I, you know, we all know Paul's background and what he did. You know, he, he was a very ruthless person in persecuting the Christians before that day on the road to Damascus. And, um, and I'm, I'm convinced, I mean, he didn't forget that. He didn't just go away. I know he carried that with him the rest of his life. And so I think it contributed a lot to what we read in, in, his, in what he wrote about humility. 1 Timothy 1.15 This is a faithful saying and worthy of all that acceptation that Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. And that, that just says to me how much he, he carried that with him. 
The second of the cures given by Paul has to do with serving others. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. We realize that Paul is not talking about being careless with our own affairs, and he's not talking about busybodiness in the affairs of others. The emphasis here is on the ability to see the need of others. And, and, and be not only see the need, but be practically heartfelt concerned about the needs of others. Courtesy, love, sympathy. That practically expressed is characteristic of a church practicing unity and, and one that desires for unity to prevail in it. Uh, in Mark... Um, we read of Jesus being asked what, the great, what was the greatest com- commandment. And, and He answered, Love the Lord your God with all your mind and all your strength. But then He added that we should love our neighbor as ourselves. That statement is repeated in Galatians with the connection that, that we should serve one another. We, we with, with by love, serve one another. So, in humility and humbleness of mind is the beginning point of unity. And then... Certainly a servant spirit is the outgrowth of humbleness of mind. Loving one's neighbor as he loves himself, seeking ways to serve others. These are one of, just one of the greatest cures of disunity. Very quickly, I want to say something sidebar that's just come to mind. I have a book at home. I've mentioned it before in, in other classes. It's called The Blessing. I found it in a used bookstore out in Texas some years ago. And uh, I'm don't, definitely out of time here tonight, so I don't need to get too far off on a tangent here. But it's about giving your, your children the blessing, just like the blessing we read about, you know, with the patriarchs in the Old Testament. I want to carry that a step further. It doesn't just apply to your children. It applies to everybody. You give a blessing to everybody. You have a blessing you can give. And are you going to be selfish with that blessing? That's the question. And it comes back around full circle to the very things we're talking about tonight. Loving, accepting, humility. uh, Taking care of others. All right, very quickly, we're running out of time. With the two cures, Paul mentions the perfect example in verse 5. Jesus Christ. Let the mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus. The mind... And the disposition possessed by Christ is absolutely essential to unity. It's absolutely essential. So what, what do we do? Well, as we grow in Christ, what do we do? We focus. And then we refocus on the example of Christ in His humility and in His example of service. If we go on past verse 5 into Philippians 2 verse 6, Let's read a few verses there. Who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, and took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in the fashion as a man, he humbled himself, and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. So why, do, why did he do this? Why did he do this? Well, in, in service to you and me and in service to God. The disposition and the mind of Christ, that's the point 
which Paul comes to that is just so beautiful, so powerful for all of us. The reasoning in these verses then goes kind of something like this. If all of your blessings in Christ mean anything at all to you, you must be unified. You must be one people. The causes of division are just so prevalent and so often in the church, but the cure is just so obvious to us. It's not a mystery, but the words of a song that is a progression say it so well, I think. None of self and all of thee. There's the cure for division. Wherever you find division, whether it's in a marriage or a family or a friendship, and certainly in the church, in the Lord's church, none of self in all of thee. None of self in all of thee. Anybody got any comments to add? Mm. I didn't know. Thank you. I did. I didn't pause much. I was kind of going through that at a pretty good pace because I had a lot of stuff I wanted to say. So I apologize for not giving you much opportunity to uh, speak up tonight. I appreciate your attention and. We'll kind of continue a little bit of the line of thought on Sunday morning in Sunday morning's Bible class. So thank you again.